teaching ministry of Pastor Jay Everly. Get ready to be empowered through the understanding of God's Word. Notice here in 2 Thessalonians, the first chapter, I want to start reading in verse number 11. Wherefore, also we pray always for you, that our God would count you worthy of this calling, wherewith you are called, and fulfill all the good pleasure of His goodness, and the work of faith with power. Count you worthy of this calling, and fulfill all the good pleasure of His goodness. Look at that. And the work of faith with power. Fulfill the work of faith with power. Now the word fulfill, it doesn't just mean fulfill. It means to fill up to the full. Actually, it's the same word over there in Ephesians. You remember in the fifth chapter, be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled. Filled. The word filled means continually in the, in the Hebrew, or excuse me, the Greek, means to continually be refilled. So it doesn't say we're just to be filled with the Spirit once, we're to be continually refilled. I'm filled up and refreshed as I read the Word, as I pray in tongues, as I sing in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And that's the plan of God for me. God didn't just give me a one-time blessing. It's a continual blessing. And that's what that word means there. It says in the King James, fulfill in First Thessalonians, excuse me, first chapter of Second Thessalonians, verse 11, fill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power, be a better way to say it. Fill or make replete or to fill up, to accomplish, to complete, to furnish, to supply is the way it's translated in the Greek. So you could say that God wants to fill and will fill and make complete and accomplish and furnish and supply your actions of faith with his power. <laughs> he did that whenever you say, Jesus, I see that you took my sin, come into my heart. Power came into you. And he met that faith and recreated you, made you a brand new person. Different than you used to be. You used to be, you used to be a, have the nature of a sinner and got the nature of, of love and the nature of God. <laughs> My goodness, changed you. Didn't it change you? Whenever you did that, God met your faith with his power and he accomplished something that he had been wanting to do in your life up until that point. He wanted you to be a new, new person, get a new start, get, be a new creation like the Bible talks about. But see, it doesn't stop just since you got born again. That's not the only time God's power will meet your faith. You know, a lot of Christians haven't thought much about using their faith after they got born again for anything else. But anything that the Bible provides or that Jesus did for you, you can match that or meet that and mix that with your faith and God will meet that with his power. See, if the word meets your faith, God will meet your faith with his power. Amen. God wants you to, to, to give him the missing ingredient. The, the ingredient is faith that you must mix with the Word of God, and then He mixes His power with that faith. The, the, your, your, uh, the Word of God has to meet something. It has to meet something other than just, well, I don't know if that's true or not. It has to meet faith. It has to meet somebody that takes it and says, I believe that, and I'm willing, I, I believe it to the point, I'm willing to take steps and actions of faith on that. I'm willing to act like that's so in my life. I'm willing to talk like that's so in my life. Amen. Amen. 
So we want to study this. We've been studying faith at Spirit of Faith Family Church. Uh, because we have the same spirit of faith, the Bible says, 2 Corinthians 4, verse number 13. We have it. We may as well study it and learn what we have. God has dealt to every one of us, Romans says, every one of us, Romans 12, 3, the measure of faith. We got it. We got it. Hey, we got it. Really, we've been wired for conducting God's power. By, by giving us the measure of faith, God put the wires on the inside of us to conduct His power. Now, we can conduct it into the things of life that, that pertain to our life, you know. We can conduct it and release it and direct it into the things that come up in life. Amen. If, if thoughts come to me, you know, that are not in line with the Word, they're not thoughts of peace, they're not thoughts of joy, and, you know, if, if they're thoughts something like depression or something like that, I can direct the power of God toward those thoughts. I can say, it is written, I've not been given a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. And I can begin to direct God's power toward my thought life. And that power will, will change the, what it, you know, a lot of times psychologists are trying to help people and they'll do what they can, you understand, but see, they don't conduct many of them, unless they're Christians, they're not conducting the power of God. But see, thank God for the power that'll get things done that nobody, no man can do. Amen. So we want to look into this a little bit more. There's a lot we need to understand about mixing faith with the power of God. First of all, back in Ephesians, we're going to just share some things on faith uh, uh, throughout this service. It's going to take a couple different directions, but I'm just going to flow with the Holy Ghost. Yeah. Ephesians 1 says that he wants us to know, verse 19, the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe. How great is this power that's directed towards us who believe? According to the working of his mighty power that he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above. And then you go down to chapter 2 and you find out us too. Because <laughs> you go down there in verse number uh, 6, it says, and raised us up, chapter 2, Ephesians 2, verse 6, it says, raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ. So not only did that power raise Jesus from the dead, you know, to do that, it had to get Jesus past all the opposing forces of hell and, and, and cause them to be powerless. It had to neutralize their ability to hold him down there. And it had to release him and bring him up. See, the power of God got him where he really was supposed to be, at the right hand of the Father. Guess what? The power of God will get you where you're supposed to be too. It'll get you through all the opposing forces of the enemy. See, the enemy, all the cohorts of hell tried to stop Jesus from being raised from the dead. This was, this was the reason it said that when God raised Jesus from the dead, he, it, he did it with the exceeding greatness of his power. The power that raised Jesus from the dead was greater than the power that created the worlds. This is the greatest power ever been on display uh, in, in history, God's power to raise Jesus from the dead. And the reason was is because it opposed all the forces of hell were opposing it. All the forces of hell were not opposing creation, but they were opposing Jesus being raised from the dead. <laughs> and the power of God was greater. Notice it called it exceeding greatness of his power. What does that mean? That means it's greater than whatever's coming against you. Greater is he that is in you. Oh, I already did it. I preached myself happy. Woo. 
Greater is the one that's in me than the he that's in the world. What does that mean? I grew up playing, I, this will date me, but I grew up playing, uh, what's that, what's that Pac-Man, you know, that, uh, and, 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 you know, that little Pac-Man, he's going down there and he's, you know, and I always remember the greater sign. You know, in, the, in elementary school, they had the greater and the lesser side. If it's on this side, it's what? If, it's on, if the number's on this side, it's lesser than. Less than over here, but if it's on this side, it's greater than. Well, guess what? The devil's over here, and God and us are over here. We're greater than the lesser one. If there's a greater one, here's the math man. He should know that, but... If, if, if the greater one, there has to be a lesser one if there's a greater one. And Satan is the lesser one. He's the, he's the little guy. It's not a big fight, tussle and fight between God and the power of the enemy. Satan's already been defeated. Amen. So the power of God, notice that term. There's a couple things you can get out of chapter, nine, uh, chapter 1, verse 19 here. What is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power? Three things I want you to notice. Number one, he says here that this power was God's exceeding power. All right. So that tells you power can be operating in degrees. Because exceeding is a word that, that describes a greater degree. That means there can be times where there's a lesser degree of God's power in operation in people's lives. That's good preaching. You can say amen now. So the, the power of God can be, can be flowing. Let me put it this way. It's not flowing towards you in degree. It's flowing towards you in, in completeness. But there can be things that are blocking it that's keeping it from coming through all the way to you to full degree. You understand? So that's the first thing we need to recognize. Just like the, the electricity in the wires of your house or this building, that electricity flows on wires... Uh, that can be flowing, you know, something can happen. You ever seen like a, a thunderstorm happen or something and something happened to where a transformer, I don't know, gets fried, partly fried or something and there's just a little bit of power flowing and the light bulbs are real dim. You ever seen something like that? Well, uh, there's times in our lives where there's just a little bit of power flowing. Not from God, the greatness of his power is flowing toward us, but there's a limiter on our end on how much of that's getting through to us. And we're going to look at that a little bit this morning about how to get rid of some of the limiters. <laughs> Amen. You know, there's a, out on the electrical wires into this building, there's probably, I don't know what it is, 880 or something. There's, there's a lot of watts, a lot of voltages, a lot of volts coming into this building, except somewhere on this building somewhere, or maybe it's on a transformer on a pole. I never did pay attention. Or back here, that's where it is. That's, that, Todd knows where it is. I know now where it is. It's right back here. It's in the ground. It comes in in the ground. I remember now. Amen. But it's coming through to that box back there. It's coming through, I don't know. Do you know, Todd? It's bigger than 110. I know that. To that, that box could fry your cow for barbecue, you know. You could fry it back there. But see, that's the transformer back there, and it's, it's uh, actually limiting how much can come through that wire coming from there to the building. I don't know what's coming in, maybe 220 or 440 or something back to the box, and then it breaks it down more at the box, and it keeps filtering part of it out. To, you know, you don't want more than 110 for lights, you know? Certain places it keeps being filtered out. Well, that's the way the power of God is to us. It's full measure towards us. Notice he said, to usward who believe. It's directed our direction. The power of God's not directed out there and directed out there. It's directed toward us. 
So it's coming full force. But there are things in our lives we've got to learn to do to let it flow full force. Where it's not being broken down or limited. Where it's not being hindered. Can you say amen? So we want to get really a lot of times what's going on in so many of our lives. The reasons things takes time, things take time sometimes is because of the limiters that we put on the power of God. Maybe, maybe ignorantly, you understand. But yet right on the other hand, still a limiter. There are laws that govern the power of God just like there are laws that govern electricity. Man learned the laws that govern electricity. We've turned it into a blessing. It can cook our food. It can heat our houses. It can give us hot water. It can turn on the lights. It can turn on the TV. It can do all kinds of things. It's amazing what we've learned to do with it just because we've learned the laws that govern it. Same thing true with the power of God. If we learn the laws that govern the power of God and that cause it to flow, cause it to be hindered, that cause it to be increased, we can actually experience a greater degree of God's purposes in our lives. Can you say amen? So it's an exceeding power. That goes beyond, it goes beyond your ability to comprehend. Somebody said, I don't know what to do. Well, the power knows what to do. Just do the things that cause the power to flow. But I don't understand all the things that it does. I don't either, but I just need it flowing. I don't, know how an elect- I don't know how an electrical current flows into my microwave. I push a button and that turns that into heat and b- cooks my food faster than the conventional oven. I don't know how that happens, but I don't really care. Boom, push the button. Amen. Those ribs that I have in the refrigerator left over, boom, yeah. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? I don't care how it's doing it. It just did it. That's all I care about. And you might not know how. How am I going to get through this? How am I going to get this accomplished? How am I going to get the money? How? The, power do, the power knows how to do that. Just you do the things that cause the power. You just need to be good at releasing the power. The power is already good at doing what it does. You don't have to figure out how it does what it does. You just be good at releasing it. I'm preaching better than you're amen and already. It'll go beyond the ability of your mind to comprehend how it works. It goes beyond Satan's ability to stop, to stop it. That's another thing it means by exceeding ability. It goes beyond the power of sickness to take you out. Somebody said cancer is powerful. Well, there's power. God's power is much greater than cancer. God's, the power to heal cancer in somebody's body will not, whenever it flows, will not even dim the lights of heaven. Heaven won't even notice it's gone out. It's just a, no flickering of the lights of heaven, you know. <laughs> I mean, we're talking in human terms, but you understand what I mean. That's the power of God. It doesn't take much. God's power is greater than anything. Amen. So it's beyond your, the ability of your mind also to keep pace with it. Your mind won't be able to keep up with the power of God. Whenever God starts moving it, you ever been in a series of meetings and, and one service after another, morning and night, and boy, the Spirit of God's stirring on the inside of you, and you're all stirred up and you're excited. Before you know it, things are flowing on the inside faster than they're flowing in your mind. Your mind's trying to keep pace with it. <laughs> you know? Well, that's because the power of God is much, much beyond the ability of the mind to keep pace with it. So notice, number one, there's degrees of God's power. Number two, it's directed towards us. Notice number three, he said that the power that's coming towards us is, is, is to be working. So that tells us the second thing we need to understand about the power of God. Number three, excuse me, the third thing. I said the second thing already. But the third thing is the power can be passive, it can be dormant, or it can be active and it can be flowing. 
Notice here he said the working, the, the working of his mighty power. Working. Say working. working. That means action. God's power can be in action. I want it to be in action. It is the action of God's power that causes things to happen. Amen. Not the dormancy of his power. The dormant power doesn't do any more than dormant power in the light, in the wires that go to the lights. Something has to happen to give action to that power. And we call it flipping a switch. Or back there in the breaker box, flip the breaker box or whatever. It has to make contact with something that causes it to flow. Same thing with the power of God. The power of God has to, it has to you need to flip the switch of faith is what I'm saying, to get the power of God to flow. Amen. And that's what we're learning to do by studying on the subject of faith. We're learning to conduct God's power. It's, it's ours. It's our privilege to do that. God's power is ours to, uh, to conduct. It's ours to assign, you might say. Hallelujah. So we've been given that privilege of directing it, and it's our responsibility. We are laborers together with God in this power flowing. It's just not God's responsibility that power flows in your life. It's our responsibility. He did his part by raising Jesus from the dead, turning around and directing that towards us. Now it's directed towards us. We must give action to it. It's like in a storm, the lightning rod up on top of the building is what attracts the, the, the lightning bolt. Same thing with us and the power of God. We've got to have a, a faith rod up there drawing the power our direction. You know, in the service, it's those who have their faith up there extended that they're the ones that get struck. They're the ones that go out, Woo, I got my arm healed. I got my arm healed. I got my arm healed. <laughs> got my ankle healed. Lightnings were flashing on Monday night. People were being healed. We got, I, I've got two reports so far that there was 14 people that raised their hand and said they already started to see results. Hallelujah. There's Susan around. She had been walking for, how long had you been walking on those crutches? Five weeks. Power of God hit her on Monday night. Bam, all the pain's gone. She's here. That's what I'm talking about. Amen. And guess what? It's he that gives thee power to get wealth as well. There's an anointing. <laughs> and there's power to overcome sin. There's power to, to live free from worry. There's just power for everything. Hallelujah. You still there? You're going home. So we've been redeemed from just going through the motions of doing things that have no power in them. The world's out there spinning their wheels, going through the motions, and they're spinning their wheels, but they're going backwards. We're redeemed from that. We, we, we act, and the power meets us, and it pushes us forward. I don't want to go through my, my whole life just going through the motions and not making any progress in God or progress in life. Amen. So we receive the power of God. We give action to it through our faith. Faith draws the power into action, or it brings it in your direction. Amen. Can you say amen to that? Now notice here, here in, uh, back in 2, Timothy, uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, notice it says, God will meet your faith and fill it with his power. Notice not just your faith, though, not the faith you have in your heart. It says they're the work of faith. That means the actions of faith. Sometimes people say, well, I believe I've received, but why is nothing happening? Have you acted on what you believe? Because the actions of faith is what give action to the power of God. You have to act on the faith that you have. God's given us the measure. Glory to God. 
But we must act on that faith. He fills the work, uh, the actions of our faith with His power. Glory to God. And now, by doing that, what we find then is we're laborers together with God. Our faith, His power, working together, gets the job done in our lives. Whatever you need God's power to flow in, God's power can flow by you mixing your faith with it. Praise God. So we're laborers together with God. Now, Ephesians 3.20 says this, and I'm going to read this in the King James and then the Amplified. We're, getting, we're just getting started here this morning. You just hold your horses because some of you are still trying to decide whether to join the service. Ephesians 3.20, you've known this verse. Now unto him that's able to do exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. According to the power that worketh, 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 worketh. Everybody say, it's not just the power that's in us. It's the power that's active. See, we have the responsibility of keeping the power active. That's not God's responsibility. Did you know that? We have that responsibility. So he said, he's able to do things according to our ability, you could say, to keep his power active. Hallelujah. So God gets his way in our life by us keeping the power active. Praise the Lord. Now, with that in mind, we have, we have the ability to direct the power of God to different situations of our lives. Now, the Amplified says, let me, listen, let me quote this in the Amplified here. In Ephesians 3.20, it says, Now to him who by in consequence of the action of his power that is at work within us, the actions of his power. The action of his power. Everybody say the action. The action. See, his power gets action as a consequence of something. Listen to that again. Now unto him who is, who by or in consequence of the action of his power that is at work within us. Notice that is able to carry out his purpose and do super abundantly above all we ask and things, so forth and so on. So notice, notice here, have you ever heard in, uh, if, you, if you grew up in certain classes in school, you'll, you'll talk about cause and effect. Yeah. And what is it, physics class? You know, certain actions create a reaction, you know. Uh, cause and effect. That is true in the natural realm. You know, if you, if you hit something, it, it, it causes an effect, you know. That energy in my arm transferred into that chair and caused it to move. Isn't that right? Cause and effect. So there was a reason that chair moved. It didn't just move for no reason. It didn't just sit there one day and go, woohoo, and start jumping up and running. No, there was, a, there was a reason for the effect that it had. And that's what he's talking about here. He said, by, by in consequence of the action of his power. In other words, there's cause and effect here. There's a cause for God getting his way. What is his way? Notice he goes on to say in the Amplified, he's able to carry out his purpose and do super abundantly above all we ask or think. In other words, carry out his purpose. What he's wanting to do in your life is his purpose. He has a plan. He wants to do some things for you, but it's cause and effect. He's done his part, and now the power's directed. It's at full flow. But now we've got to give action to it at, on our end because it comes to the transistor, trans, the, the transformer in our lives, depending on how much we allow it to flow on into our lives, determines how much effect that that power has. It determines how much of God's way he has in our life. 
Now, this is true about overcoming sin just as much as any other thing we might think about when we preach this way. Like, for example, there might be areas of our life that there's, there's a constant failure falling back into an area of sin. Well, there's a, there's a way to keep the power of God active in that area of our life to where we don't keep failing there. We continue to succeed and overcome that. Hallelujah. Well, one thing is get rid of the condemnation and stop saying, I can't do it. Say what the Word of God says. Say, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. And just you can release the power of God to overcome that sin. Amen. Praise the Lord. So we find then that this is important in many areas of our lives. We've got to work with the power of God, not work against it. So everybody say out loud, cause and effect. Amen. This is something you've got to do for yourself. This is not something God does. This is the power of God that we release as it directs towards us. We release it into situations of life. We must do something for this power to be active. Now, notice here, this is the, this is the action of his power is the consequence of our faith. He's able to carry out his purpose. So electricity will flow if it has something to flow on. Same way with the power of God. It will flow if it has something to flow on. Now go back to the book of 1 Peter chapter number 1. I said all that to get to this. And uh, look at the first chapter of 1 Peter. We'll start reading in verse number 7. 1 Peter chapter number 1, verse number 7. Amen. While, while you're turning there, here's the reason sometimes people get healed gradually. You understand what I'm talking about? Sometimes things are a gradual process. And hey, that sure beats anything else. Sure beats doing without. Don't think, don't think I'm saying that, you know, well, we should poo-poo on that. Praise God for it. You know, God's honoring the person's faith. But the reason it sometimes takes time, because it doesn't take God time at all. He's already borne our sicknesses and carried our pains. Isn't that right? Here's the reason it takes time. is because there's something in our wires that's keeping the flow from really flowing right. <clears throat> Verse number 7 here, 1 Peter chapter 1, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, notice here he says that our faith is like gold. Now, sometimes I've heard people say this. They've said, well, you know, he's talking about the trials of our faith. They're much more precious than of gold. Well, let me ask you a question. What is it that makes something precious? Rarity. Why is gold worth more than dirt? <laughs> you can get dirt anywhere. But you can't just find, you can't just walk out and get some gold. You know, it's more rare. Isn't that right? Well, it can't be then that what he's saying is that our trials are precious. Because the Bible itself says there's no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. Temptation means test or trial, you know. So it's common. It's just as common as dirt. See, you've been going through something, but look at your neighbor. See, they've been going through something too. Isn't that right? Yeah. It's just as common as dirt. Yeah. Somebody said, man, I'm really going through it. Well, don't get too high-minded about it. You know, don't. <laughs> Amen. Before you share with somebody else, you might want to see, make sure they, you know, they might be going through something worse. Yeah. 
You understand, I'm not saying don't share with somebody else, but, you know, you can get their agreement and get their encouragement. But the point is that trials, tests or trials or, or temptation to sin or temptation to quit or whatever is as common as dirt. It's as common as man, the Bible says. So it can't be that what he's saying is precious is our, the test or the trial. What is precious is the gold, which is, according to the word, it's the faith. The trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth. The faith is what's precious because it's more rare. <laughs> it's more rare than tests and trials. Much more rare than tests or trials. Test of trials are common to man. Faith, not as common. The Bible said whenever Jesus comes back, he's going to say, well, he's going to look and see, will I find faith on the earth? That means it's not going to be real common. So don't think, well, everybody else is starting to believe in evolution. Maybe I should start. Well, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Well, you're a rarity. Yeah, you're precious to God too. Your faith on the earth is precious to him. So don't think it's a small issue. God says it's gold. There's a nugget of gold right there. So we find that the trial of our faith being much more precious than of gold. In other words, our faith is more precious than of gold that perisheth. Though it be tried with fire. What is tried with fire? Our faith. Our faith goes through the fire down here in this life. Though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise, honor, and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Now, if you study the scriptures, I think Proverbs 17, 3, if I, if I have the reference right, but I know it's Proverbs 17, says this. It says, the furnace is for silver and gold, but the Lord trieth the hearts. In other words, why do they put gold or silver or precious metal in a furnace and heat it up? Because they want to purify it. What happens is the dross rises to the top and then they skim the dross off. You know, it might have some nickel mixed in with it. It might have some other metals uh, and it'll, it'll uh, rise to the top and they skim that off. And then they have more pure gold, don't they? What he's saying here is, as uh, people that walk by faith, he's saying that whenever we go through life, we will encounter tests and trials. Really, to be honest with you, those tests or trials are designed by the enemy. The Bible says they're designed by the enemy to take us out. He wants to destroy our faith. He's not trying to purify our faith. <laughs> He's trying to destroy it. And we can look at a number of references about that. Uh, Paul said right here in the book of 1 Thessalonians, well, we're in 1 Peter now, but uh, back there in 1 Thessalonians, there's a passage that talks about Satan is the tempter and the trier of our faith. You ever read that? And the Bible says that uh, the thief cometh not but for to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said, I am come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. So Satan's coming to try to steal your faith. He's trying to rob you of your faith. He's trying to get you to recant it, to give it up. But now, what's he doing? What he does whenever he brings tests or trials. He is trying to destroy your faith. But actually, he has a dilemma on his hands. The dilemma is that every time, you follow me? He tries to destroy your faith. He runs the risk of it backfiring on him. If we stand strong and maintain our confession of faith in the midst of the storm, amen, it gets purer. And guess what? Faith is a conductor of the power of God. And he said it's like gold. They, where's where's uh, Tim Shinneman here? Uh, 
yeah, okay. But anyway, they say gold is one of the best conductors of electricity. Yes. You know, why do they spend, why do they put good gold in the middle of these, some of these computers? Why do they send gold to those rockets, you know, all those electrical circuits in those rockets that go up to the moon, you know? Why, why do they make that gold? It's going to go up there and burn up. We don't, we don't waste a good, you know, a good material like gold is valuable. Why do they do it? Because it's one of the best conductors. That's the reason. And I think God knew that the whole time. Even though man didn't know about electricity, I think God knew about it. He said, I'm going to put this in here. And then over in the 20th century, they're going to discover it. And then they're going to go, whoa, yeah. He runs, Satan runs the risk of whenever he tries to destroy our faith with the test and the trial, which is what this fire is all about here. He runs the risk of us staying in the fire and God get rid of the dross. What is the dross doing? I said pure gold is the best conductor of electricity. Other metals in gold will cause the, the, the flow to be resisted to a degree. Not completely, you understand, but to a degree. But see, whenever Satan try, comes and tries to put you through something and you hold fast to your confession of faith, and you don't move in that fire that Satan meant to destroy it, God will switch fires on him and allow it to des destroy the dross that keeps the power from flowing. <laughs> he runs, Satan runs that risk every single time. Now let's go into this a little bit further here. Notice, though it be tried with fire, fire, now think about this. In the Bible, fire or burning is a term for the lust of the flesh. Isn't it? Remember in uh, 1 Corinthians 7, 9, Paul said to the young single people, he said, it's better to marry than to burn. <laughs> well, we know what burning means there. It means the lust of the flesh. Isn't that right? And then uh, 2 Corinthians eleven twenty nine, 29, Paul said, who is offended and I burn not? What is that talking about? He's talking about the, the, the desire or the lust of the flesh to get offended can be like a fire in your flesh burning. You want to get mad. You want to get offended. It's a term, fire or burning is a term for the lust of the flesh. And then you're familiar with this one. This was in James chapter number 3, verse number 6. Listen to this. It says, the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature. And it is set on fire of hell. The tongue sets on fire the course of nature. That, if you look in the word, the word course means the cycle. Uh, it's talking about really the lust of the flesh there. So he said, your tongue can light your flesh up. How many of you know, you start talking offense and before, it, before you know it, you're getting red. You know, your ears are getting red, you're getting hot. Your tongue lit it up. It made the desires of the flesh to burn. Amen. It's the same way with eating pie. You can talk about how you love pie. You love pie. Oh, I just can't, I can't resist pie. Well, see, your mouth is causing every pie-hungry molecule in your body <laughs> to come alive. And before you know it, you'll get in the car and drive down to the restaurant and get a piece of pie. Just can't resist it. I can't resist it. We say, I know, I heard you. So the tongue can light your flesh up. Isn't that right? So really another way to describe this, he said the fire is, uh, I mean the uh, gold, the, our faith you could say, is tried or tested with the fire. He's telling us that the lust of our flesh, are you with me? The lust of our flesh will uh, really 
get mixed in with our faith. And it'll, it'll be a lot of dross. Amen. And whenever the flesh is, is dogging us and the flesh is hounding us, through the lust of the flesh, we become people that have dross in our, in our faith. You there? Satan wants us to get in the flesh. Walk by sight, walk by feelings, give up on our confession, you know. And it gets a lot of dross in and it shuts the power down. Or he wants us to become afraid. And that's dross that will shut the power down. We see that all through the Bible. You know, the Bible talks about, for example, the, uh, 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 I believe it was Jairus. Was it Jairus? Yeah, they came in and they said, uh, your little daughter's dead. You remember that? And Jesus wheeled around immediately. He said, fear not, believe only. Yes. See, fear was going to try to get in there. Faith was taking Jesus to Jairus' house. Faith had a miracle in progress. But fear, Jesus was saying, fear is going to shut that down. That's why he stopped right there and said, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Hallelujah. You still there? So we find then that it's important that we not let the flesh, don't let yield to the temptations of the flesh, the lust of the flesh to be afraid, the lust of the flesh to think wrong thoughts, to give up, to quit, to throw in the towel, to stop believing God, to give in to all the fears and the doubts and all those things. See, we're living in a cesspool in this world. It's just a, a, an atmosphere of unbelief. In fact, go over. I want you to see something here. We're talking about the dross in your faith. Go back here to, thank you, Lord, I see that. Go back here to the uh, second chapter of 2 Peter. Go back to the book of 2 Peter. And notice what it says here, verse number 20, 2 Peter 2, 20. For if after that ye have escaped the pollution of the world through the knowledge of the Lord Jesus or the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's how we escape the pollution of the world. Amen. See, there's a, there's a knowledge out there in the world that uh, lies about God. It'll say things like, well, God won't put more on you than you can handle. Or he took that little baby to heaven. He wanted a little flower for his garden. Dear God, some of the things, some of the most asinine things that religion says. <laughs> So we have to be delivered from that pollution. What is this pollution? He said it's a knowledge because what set us free is the right knowledge, the knowledge of the Word of God. So this pollution is a wrong knowledge. So pollution of the world through the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, even uh, they, he said, if after they've, start in verse 20 again, after they've escaped from that pollution through the knowledge of Jesus, if later they are overcome, the latter end is worse for them than at the beginning. Now, I've seen that. It's dangerous to come up to light and then turn away from it. That's what he's saying right there. It'll, it, it'd be better for you never have to come to the light. Now, somebody said, well, I better not get any light then. Well, that's the, your, the Bible says we're destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Take, Satan will take advantage of that. So you want to come up to light, but you want to come up to it and then walk on into it because to come up to it and then back away from it, he said it's going to be worse. That's not a threat. It's just the way Satan, he just operates that way. You have to know your enemy, you know. You have to know his strategies. Now, here he said, pollution is in this world, and we escape it through the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. What is this pollution? This pollution is in the world. Satan's the god of this world, isn't he? 
the prince of the power of the air has polluted this world. Not the pollution that we see hanging over Los Angeles like a fog and smog. Not that. That's natural pollution. He's talking about spiritual pollution. This pollution is uh, the principalities, the powers, the rulers of the darkness of this world, the spiritual wickedness in heavenly places or in high places. It's talking about these forces of darkness that the Bible calls them the prince of the power of the air. Not the physical air, although he's in this physical atmosphere, but right on the other hand, in the spiritual realm, in this, in this uh, spiritual atmosphere down here on this earth, there's pollution, spiritual pollution, forces of darkness, and they will come and they will attack you uh, and they will try to get that pollution into you. One pollution is wrong thinking. Many Christians have not got their minds washed with the water of the Word, and they're thinking just like the world. Somebody out there in the world said something, and they did, yeah, oh, okay, okay. Well, see, it doesn't line up with the Word of God. There's so many things you've got to wash, get off of you as you become born again and get your mind renewed because it's like being in a smoky room. Maybe, you know, today they don't have much smoke in restaurants anymore. I, I guess it's his band here now or something. But, um, uh, so, but it used to be, you know, you go in a smoky restaurant and you're maybe sitting close to the smoking section or something before you walk out and you smell like smoke. Well, you didn't smoke, but you were in a place where there was smoke. And the same thing true with spiritual things. You might not be smoking but so to speak, what the devil's saying. But so many people around you are. You, if you're not careful, you'll get, start smelling like smoke. And it'll come out your mouth and you'll sound just like the world. You understand what I'm talking about? It's just in the atmosphere. Doubt is just in the atmosphere. I dare say some of you, for example, that, that work in some of these places, uh, if you talk to them about how God created the world, you'd get a mountain of doubt flood in on you, you know. How God said, let there be, oh, no, scientists have proven this, scientists have proven They haven't proven squat. I'm not even a scientist, and I can prove that what they're saying is wrong. I'm not even talking about the Bible. I'm talking about science to prove what they're saying is wrong. You know they have an agenda? <laughs> they sure do. Anyway, I think what we're going to need to do sometime, and I want to do it. I want to do it. I want to show a series of videos God gave me and just let, especially our young people before they go off to college, let them watch, let them watch what scientists are really discovering, you know, and why it is the way, why does it look like a million years old and, you know, all that stuff. Yeah, that'd be good. Wouldn't it be good? Because we get bombarded with that kind of thing. Well, well, the word of God is still true, still true. Now, with that in mind, notice here that our faith really can get some pollution in it. Now, think about this. Go over with me to the book of Luke and notice what it says here in the 8th chapter. We know the parable of the sowers found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Let's go to the 8th chapter of Luke and Luke's account of the parable of the sower and see if we can't find something that's similar along this line. What does pollution do? It breaks down our faith's ability to conduct the power of God. We're getting here, but I'm really trying to get to something, and we're going to get there real, real quick here. Look at Luke 8. Remember the four kinds of ground. We've gone back to this so many times. You might say, well, Pastor, you go to this so much. I know because it's a huge, huge revelation. 
You remember Jesus told the parable? He said, the parable of the sower is the parable of the sower sowing the seed. The seed goes into the ground. The ground starts producing. And there's four kinds of ground. Only one kind brought forth the harvest. Three kinds of ground. One didn't bring anything. The other one started. And then they got choked out with cares or something. Or, or you know, the sun was out. The Bible said it didn't have much depth of earth in the rocky ground. And it didn't bring forth either. It began to grow. And he said, now here's what this parable is about. It's not about planting corn. It's about the Word of God is the seed. And the, your heart is the soil. Amen. I'm going to keep preaching it because it's true. And he said, the Word of God goes into different kinds of soil. And the different kinds of soil are going to determine how much, produce, how much the Word produces, not the Word. And not the preacher of the Word. <clears throat> There's a little bit of amen over here. How about this section over here? Remember the Bible says if you read the parable of the, seed, the sower, it says the sower sows the word, and that's the last the sower's mentioned. From then on, it's between the seed and the soil. See, people, they say, well, I'm just not getting anything at that church anymore. Well, it's not the preacher's responsibility that you get something. It's his responsibility to sow the seed. Your soil is your responsibility. <laughs> some people like it. Some people don't like it. Don't look at me like that. Your halo's crooked on your horns. <laughs> it's crooked. Get it up there. Some of you, I need to wake you up. All right, now the four kinds of ground. It's our responsibility to keep stuff out of our ground that keeps the Word from producing. You know, you need to pass up opportunities to be offended. No, 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 I, I can't afford that. I can't afford that. That cost me way too much. That cost me way too much. You still there? You're going home. Offense will cost me way too much. So really what offense is, is it's a toxin that gets in your soil. It's a pollution. You know, pollution can be found in the natural world. It can be found in the air. It can be found in the soil. I know a person here in the congregation that had an opportunity to buy a Real nice, real, a, a corner lot right on the corner of two main roads, really, right there, right close to the highway exit. And uh, the, the place they wanted to buy, though, was a former old gas station. And uh, I've had a little experience with the EPA, yeah. e e Environmental and Protection Agency, which I don't really like. <laughs> they, they do some good, but they're pushing all this agenda of climate warming and all that, you know. I said, they have an agenda. Yeah. See, it's the way to get things controlled and, the, and control the money and all that. Anyway, I'm not trying to get political. But anyway, this person was trying to buy. They were thinking about it. They weren't trying yet. They were thinking about buying that. And I said, well, you're going to have to deal with the EPA on that one because all those tanks under there that have been holding that gas for all those years, they're bound to try to come in there and say, no, there's pollution here and all that, you know. And unless you know what you're doing dealing with the EPA, you better stay away from it. You know, just, just some advice. I'm not saying God's saying that, but you better pray about all that part. And so they decided to back away from it because the EPA is big, <laughs> you know. And if God doesn't tell you to do it, you better watch it. See, that's pollution. Well, you can get pollution in your soil and, it, and it's not producing any harvest. Well, I'm planting the seed. Why is it not working? Because there's something in your soil. Now, notice some things he said can get in your soil. Notice here in Luke 8, 14. They which fell among thorns are they which, when they have heard, go forth and are choked with cares, riches, 
Now, the, uh, Mark's account says the, the, the um, deceitfulness of riches, not just, not just money. It's the love of it, the deceitfulness of it, and things like that. You have to understand these are things in your heart, not things in your check checking account. <laughs> Some of you got that. Some of you are thinking about it. It's not, something, it's not an amount of money in your checking account that chokes out the word. It's what gets in your heart. The heart is the soil. So he said desires for other things or pleasures here of this life and bring no fruit, notice that term, to perfection, to perfection. Everybody say to perfection. That means it didn't go to full maturity. Why didn't they get a, in other words, it started growing, but it stopped. Why didn't it go any further? Well, it got choked out by these things that got in the soil. So notice he mentioned some of them. Cares is one of them. Pleasures of life. In other words, they're distracted by the interests of this life. Distracted, you could say, from spiritual things. And the deceitfulness of riches. Mark brings that out. It's the deceitfulness of riches, not just riches. And so what the Word of God is, is doing here, it's getting too much competition. Worry can, can compete for your faith, and it can actually shut the power down. You, you follow what I'm saying? He uses this, this uh, corruption or pollution thing in a couple of different ways. He's using it over there like gold can get corrupted and it doesn't conduct power. Now he's using it like soil can get polluted and it won't produce a harvest. So he's saying the same thing using different terminologies. You following me? All right. Now with that in mind, I want to go to one the Lord dealt with me about dealing with this morning. Are you there? Let's go back to the book while well, you're in Luke. Go over here to the uh, book of Luke to the 21st chapter. Let's look at verse number 25 and 26. There's, now notice this is the last days. We're living in the last days, aren't we? There shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and upon the earth distress of nations with perplexity. We've studied that the distress of mean, nations means wanting in resources. With perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring. We've seen even that in the last couple of weeks. Men's hearts failing them for fear. Notice that. For looking after those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of heaven shall be shaken. All right, so men's hearts failing them for fear. Spiritually, I believe he's talking about spiritual hearts, but it's true about natural hearts. I mean, people having heart attacks, people can have fear, get into fear and, get in and have a heart attack. You know, we've, we've all heard that. But here's something else we need to recognize. Your heart can fail to produce what it needs to produce because it got a toxin called fear in it. It got pollution in it. Talking about your spirit, the human spirit. That's called the heart also. Hallelujah. What does fear do? Fear is what uh, Satan tries to get into us to keep faith from working. And it'll cause, uh, cause faith to fail to produce what it should be producing. It should be producing a harvest for us. But fear will stop faith in its tracks. And so faith won't produce for us. You see, faith is what receives, but fear is a toxin that Satan's wanting to get into your faith. To shut it down, to keep it from functioning. Y'all still there? Now, okay, with that in mind, let's study fear a little bit. Go back to the book of Job. Let's study the book of Job, and we're, we're not going to take a long time here. We're going to look at chapter number 1, and um, really, you, let's just save some time. I'll just quote some things in chapter number 1. Job chapter number 1, it says that Satan came in verse number 6, 7, and down and through there. 
uh, came and presented himself before God, and God said, Hast thou considered my servant Job? It doesn't mean God was saying, Get him. If you look it up, actually in the margin of my Bible right here, it says, you've, I see you've set your heart on Job. In other words, it, it goes on, Satan says here in chapter 1, he says, Well, verse number 10, you've made a hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side. And you bless the work of his hands, and the substance is increased. Now he said in verse 11, Put forth thine hand now, and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. See, Satan was saying, you know, you put your hand on him. Look what God said in verse 12. The Lord said, Satan, behold, all he hath is in thy power. That's the Hebrew word for hand. So really it wasn't God's hand that moved on Job and destroyed all his crops and his family and all that happened because you read down through the rest of the first chapter and all of that was destroyed. All of his wealth was destroyed. you remember that? Satan's hand was the one that, uh, uh, you know, Job suffered at. It was Satan's hand. We can go over to the second chapter and find that out. He presented himself again in verse 3. The Lord said unto Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? Really, it says in the Hebrew, I see you have set your heart on my servant Job. There's none like him in all the earth. By the way, the word Job in the Hebrew means hated. Wasn't God that hated him. It was the devil that hated him. You ready for something? Here's the reason Job was hated. Number one, he's righteous. The Bible said he was righteous. Number two, he's rich. Okay, if somebody becomes righteous, he hates them. But when they become righteous and they're rich? <laughs> Some of you wouldn't shout for anything this morning. Notice he said, you've set your heart on him. Look at verse number, let's see down here, verse, Satan once again said, you put your hand on him and, uh, and touch the bones of his flesh. And Satan answered, verse 4, said, Skin for skin, yea, all that man hath will he give for his life, but put forth thine hand now, and touch his bones and his flesh, and he shall curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, he is in thy hand. See, God kept saying, It's not my hand that destroys. He's in thy hand. Look at verse number 6. He said, Satan, behold, he's in thy hand, but save his life. Verse 7. He went... So went Satan forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with boils. See, it was not God who did this. It was Satan. Somebody said, well, God was allowing him to. Well, really, God wasn't allowing it either because God had built a hedge around him. Because remember, Satan said, I can't get to him. What did God say whenever he, Satan said, I can't get to him? God said, he's in your hand. Now, somebody said, well, was he protected or did Satan have access to him? Well, the point is he was protected. And yet Satan did get access to him. And we find out in chapter 3 why. And I'm going real fast. We'll have to do a study on the book of Job. Sometime we'll do an in-depth study. But let's go over to Job chapter 3, verse number 25 and 26. The thing which I greatly feared is come upon me, and that which I was afraid of is come unto me. Now, go back, and we're going to read verse 26 in a minute, but go back to verse number 5 of chapter number 1. Let's just get a little idea of what this fear was all about. We kind of got late in our start on this study, but we'll, we'll get a little bit of it out here this morning. Look at verse number 3. Job chapter 1, verse 3. His substance also was uh, 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 she-asses, and a very 
great household, so that this man was the greatest of all the men of the East. So he's the wealthiest man of the East. And his sons went and feasted in their houses, everyone his day, and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. And it, came, and it was so, when the days of their feasting were gone about, so these, his children are feasting, that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This did Job continually. See, he's afraid. He's afraid that, you know, we might have uh, opened the door. My children are over there partying. They might open the door, you know. They might have cursed God or something. I'm, I'm afraid of that. Why was he doing that continually? Out of fear. I've known people that just constantly, Lord, forgive us for all of our sin. Well, did you do something? What'd you do? Oh, I don't know. I just don't want to. Well, see, that's fear. So he was afraid, and so he's always doing something to keep the door closed, but his fear opened the door. You know, people do that, that somebody in their, in their family gets attacked with cancer, and they leave the hospital room, and because it's in their family, they say, I rebuke cancer, it'll never be in my body, and, and, and they're, they're trying to make their confession of faith. Well, why didn't they leave the hospital room and say, I rebuke AIDS, I'll never have AIDS in the name of Jesus? Why didn't they do that? Why? Because... The reason they did it concerning cancer is because now they're afraid because it's in their family and they're, it's not the cancer they needed to resist. It is the fear that they needed to resist. You understand? People are saying things that looks like faith, but it's really fear. The reason they made those confessions when they left the hospital is because of fear. That's the reason they made the confession. Why not just leave the hospital and say, thank God he took my infirmities and he bore my sicknesses. See, when you go to rebuking something that hasn't even happened, it's because you're afraid of it happening. Why does the devil always threaten you and say, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this? Why does he do that? Because why doesn't he just go ahead and do it, in other words? Because he can't. Hello? He's trying to get you afraid so he can do it. Amen. You should just wheel around sometime and say, you keep threatening me you're going to do that. Why don't you just go ahead and do it, big bad boy? You're so big and bad and hot and you've got all this power. Why don't you just do it? See, the reason he's trying to threaten you is because he wants to get you into fear so he can do it. All right. Now, back to chapter 3, verse 25. The thing which I greatly feared, notice that, greatly feared, is come upon me and that which I was afraid of is come unto me. Look at verse 26. I was not in safety, neither had I rest, neither was I quiet, yet trouble came. Now, listen to the Holman Christian Standard Bible. He said, I cannot relax or be still. I have no rest for trouble comes. What he's describing here is the way he had been living. He is describing his lifestyle, the way he was living in fear. He said, I can't relax. Notice the King James says, I was not in safety. Really, he was. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. He was. God had a hedge about him. He was in safety. Yet he said, I was not in safety. Why? He said, I can't relax. I can't be still. I have no rest for trouble's coming. That's what that translation said. Trouble's coming. In other words, he is afraid of trouble. He had a hedge about him, but he's afraid something might happen. That's why he's making all these sacrifices. You know, I want to, you know, and, and it's good to, 
talk to God and stay in good fellowship, make sure you keep doors closed, don't misunderstand me, but doing it out of fear opens the door. Y'all still there? Oh, I'm getting, they're just getting started this morning. You're really what I'm trying to get to. So he is describing his lifestyle. It describes what he had been going through. He was expecting trouble. You realize fear is the confident expectation of evil manifesting in your life. It's faith in reverse. Just like faith in God allows you to rest and enjoy the blessings of God in the middle of trouble. Fear, which is faith in the devil, won't allow you to enjoy the blessings of God whenever everything is at rest. Why? Because of expectation something's going to go wrong. I've met people, things are going fine, but they got so much fear, they're expecting something bad to happen. I mean, they can't go a couple of weeks with, without something bad happening because, yeah, well, well, everything's so, well, what's going on? Everything's fine now. I'm not used to this. I'm not used to this. They're afraid something bad's going to happen again. And so the devil accommodates them. This is what fear is. People live in this. This is bondage. You can be having good things happening, but you're afraid something bad's going to happen. That's why it's such bondage. Remember the Bible said in, in Romans 8, 15 that we have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. It's always negative. It's always expecting something bad, even when things are good. Now notice this. Verse 25, notice this. Verse 25 said, the thing that I greatly feared. Everybody say greatly feared. Now, the word greatly tells us that fear had grown until it had become great. You understand? His fear had become a great fear. Notice when it gave substance to the problem that he didn't want, by the way. You realize faith is the confident expectation of something you want. Fear is the confident expectation for something you don't want. Fear is faith in reverse. It's the reverse gear of faith. You're using it in the devil. You're putting faith in the devil. And what he's doing is he's confidently expecting something he doesn't want. And it grew, that, that fear grew until it had become a great fear. And notice, just like it says in Acts 19.20, so mightily grew the word and prevailed. Notice faith doesn't prevail until it grows to that point of prevailing. So fear does not prevail until it grows to the point of prevailing. It had been there, but it had not been great enough for the devil really to get it done. But it grew until it became great. Amen? And when it became great, it gave substance to what he didn't want. Job had rehearsed it in his thought life, and it dropped from his mind into his heart. And the fear that got into his heart opened the door to the devil. And that which the Bible calls the shield of faith was now dropped. You understand the Bible says take the shield of faith, which blocks it. Guess what? Fear gets into you and now the shield's down and Satan has access. Really what we find here is Job had built a shield of faith around him in his life and he was protected from Satan. Because remember Satan said, you know, uh, I can't get to him. There's a hedge. You put a hedge about it. Isn't that right? Well, see, that had built, been built. Job had built that. He and God together. He had spoken words of faith. But somehow or another, throughout, throughout his, the course of the progress of his life, he got to thinking about these fearful thoughts. And he rehearsed them to the point that they became great. Amen? It says in verse 26 that he said, I was not in safety. 
But yes, he was in safety, at least at one point in his life. His faith had created a shield. But somehow he got to the place that he didn't believe anymore that he was in safety. He was in safety, but he got to the point he didn't believe it. Because here he said it, I was not in safety. Amen? And fear got in, and he began to expect trouble. Oh, this is good preaching. Job rehearsed his fears until they became great fears. Faith gives substance to things desired, but fear gives substance to things you don't desire. Job didn't cast down thoughts and imaginations, and it got into his faith. And it polluted his faith. Faith stopped working. Fear took over, became greater than faith. Doubt and fear came out of his mouth, and he began to say some things. And it gave Satan the license to operate because Satan can operate where there is fear. Hallelujah. But see, we got to recognize that this is the way the devil operates. One of the things the Lord has told me, for example, let me uh, bring this down home. Remember, the Lord told me a number of, uh, uh, what, let's see, back in June of 2008, I believe it was, the Lord said there's a, there's a, the interest rates are going up. You know, there's some things going to be happening in the nation. Well, see, now, we can't let that cause us to get into fear. God didn't say that for us to get into fear. He said it for us to get ready and to build our faith, not to be expecting the worst in our lives. It might be, God warned us of what's going to be happening out there. He doesn't want it happening in our lives. You understand? We still have a covenant with God no matter what goes on out there. I'm preaching better than your name in it. Don't let the toxin of fear get you to expecting bad things now because the Lord said some things are coming. I'm not expecting it to be in my life. We're praying. Debbie and I are even talking about some more things. We're praying about some things. Okay, what does this mean? We've got to do this this year. We've got to do some things. You know, what does this mean for us? Not out of fear, out of how God's leading us to avoid what the world's going to have. See, I don't want that toxin to get into my faith. It'll shut the power down. Am I preaching all right this morning? Now, fear is a, is a spirit, the Bible says, and the spirit of fear will attack your mind. You, you all follow me? It'll attack your mind and try to get in through worry and through fear. It'll rob you of sound-mindedness, and if you yield to it, it'll go from your thoughts into your heart. You'll start thinking wrong thoughts, but it won't leave you the way it found you. It'll mess with your mind. Amen. Take thoughts of worry and thoughts of fear captive and don't say what you fear. Amen? If you, if you live in fear, it'll wear your mind down and you'll be weak emotionally and you'll be weak mentally. I've seen people paralyzed and they could barely even put two thoughts together to conduct life, you know, because of fear. Just paralyzed. That's not been given to us. You know, I, I've dealt with more fear in Cedar Rapids than I've dealt anywhere else I've ever lived. Did you know that? It's amazing the amount of fear people live in. Well, that's not us. God's not giving that to us. That's the enemy. Let's get some things out of our lives. I get amazed whenever, whenever some little thing happens, how people get seized with fear. Some little accident. Ah, 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 we got to do something. We got to do something. And just fear. And I, I have become so anticlimactic, so, so. Chill. In order to try to bring it down. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. <laughs> I get tired of it. It's like people, they want to. And I just want to. 
Go take a nap. Go take a nap. Go sleep. Go rest. Go take a nap. Sleep. That's more faith than what you're doing right now. Amen. It'll attack you. Listen to this. When fear attacks, it'll attack your mind. You can also feel it hit your body sometimes. It's a spirit. But it'll attack your mind. It is a spiritual attack. It comes against you in the spirit realm. And your enemy is not a natural being. So fight in that arena. Learn to deal with the thoughts that come. Learn to address fear by speaking to it. You, you deal with it like you would the devil himself because it is a spirit. Amen. Many don't realize the failure to enter into the spiritual realm and do combat with the enemy is the reason their natural realm is not working. See, when fear comes, they're not addressing it. When I say combat, I'm not talking about fighting the devil. I'm talking about resisting the devil. You've got to enter into the spiritual realm and resist the fear when it comes. And learn to ask God to help you identify it. There's a lot of people walking in fear. They don't really even recognize what it is. But it is an attack of the enemy. It's a strategy of the enemy. And really sometimes people that are in that, one of the characteristics of people that live in fear is they keep saying things like this, I never hear God. I never hear God. The reason is because he doesn't talk in those kind of atmospheres. He talks, he talks in an atmosphere of faith, an atmosphere of trusting him, not an atmosphere of fear. We're getting some help here this morning. He talks in that. And a lot of times you'll have to get out of the worry and fear and get your mind quieted down because one of the things worry and fear does is it tries to get a hold of your mind and hold your mind in the natural realm. Keep your mind busy with and occupied with what's going on in the natural realm. The doctor said it's this, it's progressing. He wants to, you ever notice fear tries to get you locked into the natural? And it's like you got to pray in tongues sometimes for an hour and a half to get out of that. That's the assignment fear has is to keep you locked into the natural realm. It's a strategy of the enemy to keep you in the mental realm also. Amen? Don't back up for fear one minute. David addressed the fear when Goliath spoke, and he kept a shield of faith around him. He kept saying, I'm going to feed you to the birds. He, and he, he kept a solid front. And Satan, I mean, uh, Goliath, he's about like Satan. Goliath didn't really just hit a rock, although a rock hit his head. He hit a shield of faith. Because David ran toward him with a shield of faith around him. <laughs> he hit that shield of faith and whomp, fell down dead. Go to Colossians. I've got I to give you this, and we'll, we're going to close here. I know we've preached longer than we should have again. Go to Colossians real quickly. I just want you to see this so you can write it in your notes and then we'll close it up. Colossians says this. I love this passage. This is something God showed me years ago. Verse, uh, chapter number 2 of Colossians, verse number 5. For though I be absent in the flesh, Paul's talking to the church at Colossae. I'm not there in the flesh. He said, yet I am with you in the spirit joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. The steadfastness of your faith in Christ. He said, I can see in the Spirit the steadfast faith that you're walking by. Now, I like this other translation. It says, I don't have it written down here. I don't remember which one it does. He said, I'm beholding the solid front presented by your faith in Christ. The solid front. See, when the devil comes at you, he needs to see something called a shield of faith, which is a solid front. He needs to have something that he's going to have to get through to get to you. He needs to have faith built all around you. That means you speak faith words all the time. That means you keep the shield secure by speaking the truth, not lies. 
not what you feel, not what the doctor said. You speak the truth. It is written, I am healed, I am delivered. You keep that solid front, not a, not a front that has gaps in it, but a solid front where Satan can't get through. Amen. So all these things tell us that there is a shield that we can live behind to where Satan doesn't even get some things through. Fear is an opening in that shield. It'll, it'll, it'll open up a passageway for the enemy to get in. Can you say amen? If you would like more information about Pastor Jay Everly's ministry, please visit us on the web at soffc.org or call us at 319-366-2147 or you can write to us at Spirit of Faith Family Church, Post Office Box 8355, Cedar Rapids, Iowa, 52408. And remember, God loves you and you're equipped to live victoriously in every area of life.